you don't have a good so. intro, you have a shitty Joe podcast. Joe Rogan's intro is garbage. Yeah, because, well, I think you just answered your own question. Oh, oh, wait, we love Joe Rogan. Yeah, cool. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. My name is Mauro. And I'm Dan. I like cool things. And I like animals. So, so let's, let's talk, talk about, about cool, cool animals. animals. Let's try that again. Why? Oh, I thought I screwed it up. No, this is great. So this is our podcast. Uh, we are Let's Let's Talk About Cool Animals. Let's Talk About Cool Animals. And we are here to talk about some cool, pretty cool animals. Cool animals. One in particular, and then another one you probably have never heard of unless you have Disney Plus and recently watched a movie that came out. We're basically talking about the Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen of the dog world. But... In this situation, Scottie Pippen did most of the work and got none of the credit, whereas I feel like Michael Jordan did most of the heavy lifting. Shout out to Michael Jordan. Um, I think you might be surprised because Scottie Pippen was a pretty good player. Oh, that's true. That's a, a lot of people out there love, love, love to collect Air Pippins. Right? <laughs> so I rest my case. That's a good segue into my next question. What's that? Dan, have you ever been to Nome, Alaska? <laughs> no. <laughs> I would, uh, I'd love to because I want to see where gnomes come from. Uh, common misconception, but gnome <laughs> is not spelled the same way as gnome. It's N-O-M-E. As in Nome, Alaska. It is on the west coast of Alaska. Somewhere near the Baltic Sea? No, the Bering Sea. Bering Sea. Baltic Sea is in the... In the in the Europe's, I oh, think I'm not a cartographer, so because <laughs> of the Bal the Baltics, the Balkans, yes, Baltic <laughs> Balkans, same thing. So <laughs> great, great intro to our podcast. We are talking about Balto, Balto, and, and Togo, Togo, the unsung hero of this whole story, the great mercy race, the great serum delivery of by a 1925. bunch of 1925. Of was it 1925? Yeah, man, it was 1925. It was super cold. It was very cold in Alaska. Probably the coldest any of us have ever known about. It was actually the coldest recorded winter in Alaska at the time. Negative 60. With 50 mile an hour wing winds. And wings. If and you're wings. a bird. If you were a bird sure, and had 50 we'll, mile per hour wings. We'll talk about that. So, Nome, at the time in 1925, had about 10,000 people in it. But what else was happening in 1925? The gold rush, Moro. The gold rush was kind of slowing down at the time in Alaska. People had moved to northern Canada in order to pursue gold. And then... Go to that Yukon, get that Yukon gold. Yeah. So in 1896, around 1896, uh, hundreds of thousands of people moved to the Yukon area because they found little flakes of gold in the creek. They're like, oh man, I can make some money off we this. Can, we can do this. And then people were like, wait, there might be some gold in Alaska. There's gold in then their hills. <laughs> so we should just move to Alaska and then sell our gold on eBay. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't find gold at the time. So they just settled in little towns. And one of those towns was Nome, Alaska. Nome, Alaska. So in the 1920s, across the world, and especially in the United States, there was a diphtheria epidemic going on now Mora, what what is diphtheria diphtheria is a very nasty disease that you get from the corine bacterium diphtheriae oh i like i like how i got that yeah you nailed that oh, i was what actually a good... <laughs> very very impressed by so the it's uh it's it's a disease that mostly affects young children which was very devastating for especially a small town like nome 
it could cause a child to just start getting symptoms like a runny nose, a cough, a sore throat, but then the lining of your throat would start accumulating tissue and you would literally choke to death. Yeah, the uh, the dead and dying cells that were affected by diphtheria, they would actually slough off the victim's nose and throat and they would grow these nasty bacterial colonies and they would form these thick leathery gray coatings called pseudomembranes. And oh, essentially man. what happened was you would lose the inability to swallow and then eventually the ability to breathe. It was a horrendous, horrendous way to go if left untreated. Which brings us to the amazing story that we're going to share with you today. In a bit, in a bit. Let's oh, just build, kidding, just kidding. Let's build more. So the way diphtheria killed uh, children, especially children, was they would start developing symptoms and then from literally a week or two weeks later, they could be dead. Like yeah. that's how quick this disease acted upon the young human body. And imagine being in rural, rural, rural Alaska. Very rural. With little to no access to medicine. You know, it took, what was it? They needed, they could barely, you couldn't drive to these places, right? You couldn't. No, no, no were, cars. Uh, especially in this winter, the, there have been a lot of blizzards. So what about flying? Was that Flying was, that doable? was impossible due to the, the nature of airplanes back then because they had water-cooled engines and open cockpits. Open cockpits. So it was impossible. negative 60 degrees. <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, you know, flying makes me nervous to begin with, but then you introduce the whole potential of frostbite, hypothermia before you fall out of the sky. That sounds like a really, really stressful, unenjoyable situation that is just not something that's for me. So clearly Gnome needed some help. They had dozens, if not hundreds of cases in in the small town, 10,000 people, 10,000 people. Everyone knew each other. Everyone knew whose kids were whose. Like it was a really close community. Small town America. Small town, small town America. So in late January, five children died from the, from the disease. So the doctor, the only doctor in the town, imagine that, a doctor that has to treat 10,000 people. He has to deliver every baby. He has to literally see everyone that's sick. 10,000 people, only one doctor. What was his name? What was his name, Mora? Curtis Welch. Curtis Welch. Curtis Welch called a quarantine. And why did he do that? Because, as we all know, calling a quarantine decreases the spread of a very contagious disease, virus, or bacteria. I wonder if our listeners can relate to anything pertaining to a quarantine in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, and on that note, we hope you are all safe and healthy. And this is a fresh reminder to wash your hands, if you haven't already. Yes, please. Today. And don't touch your face. So there's a difference here because the vaccine for diphtheria was developed in 1923. The antitoxin serum. The antitoxin serum. Which sounds really cool. Yeah, it sounds better than vaccine. Yeah, like it's the <laughs> antitoxin serum. So Dr. Welch put an order out by telegram and papers and everywhere. Everywhere. He even Didn't he send messages down to D.C. trying to get yes, help? Yes, to the literal government. Yeah. He needed 200,000 units of antitoxin serum. Sounds like stressful times. Two hundred thousand units for, which is not a lot because uh, they had about, uh, I think, one or two million in storage in California. So they were able to send those to Seattle, and then we'll we'll get to the actual story. Wait a that. minute, you know they're in Alaska. They're near the water, right? Why didn't they just ship it up by boat? Well, it was really cold. 
It oh. was negative 60 degrees. That means that there were ice blades as thick as two feet. So if a boat were to go through the harbor, it'll either get stuck or, or sink. sink or everyone in the boat will die. When it sinks. When it sinks. And then the serum would be lost forever. So what was the only way, the literal, we're not talking about an option. We're not talking about a Hail Mary uh, option. This is just like, if this you're is, ordering takeout, it's the only restaurant in town? Yes, this is the only option. What was the only option to get life-saving serum to Nome, Alaska? Uh, is it sled dogs? Sled dogs. What is what is sled dogs? What is sled dogs? Uh, uh, for, for a thousand. For a thousand. <laughs> That's not how the answer works. What, what is what is sled dogs? So sled dogs. Sled dogs were very popular now, in Alaska. That's how people are moving around for the most part out there, right? There's not a lot of roads. Yes. It's it's well, it, there were the, horses, of course. Horses. But in the winter and stuff like that, yes. horses are not able to do this. Like they're they're taking long journeys. And now the serum, the closest they were able to get it was you know just shy of like 700 miles away in a town called Nanana. Nanana. Right? It was 674 it was the, miles the away from The closest train station to Nome. Now, normally, a journey like this- It was like 700 this, miles round trip, by the way. Little, huh. little correction. I thought that it was 674 miles- Round trip. Oh, all right. It was round trip, yeah. So now normally, a journey like this with sled dogs would take what, 15 to 20 days? Yes, that's the, with the average, because the average speed of a sled dog team would be between 10 and 15 miles an hour. If you're talking about in, you know, three feet of snow. <laughs> yeah. You know, racing dogs can get up to like 20, 25 yeah. miles an hour. But sled dogs that have to endure the, these kinds of conditions, they are traveling at 10 to 15 miles an hour. That's faster than I could run. <laughs> and I'm pretty fast. So sled dogs are very popular in Alaska right now and in Canada and, you know, basically anywhere that it's hard to get around. In Alaska, they used to use uh, sled dogs for mining. So people would drive um, supplies to and from the mines with sled dogs. So, so they were super useful. These dogs are super important. And just a little side note, for those of you that do have uh, Siberian Huskies and you notice that they are very, very high energy, there is a reason for that. These dogs were bred to work and work hard. On a daily basis, these dogs could burn up to 12,000 calories a day, consuming roughly 10,000 calories to keep them moving. So these dogs are metabolic furnaces, and they would churn through, and they are just going, going, going. So if you're at home, and your dog is barking at you, barking at you, barking at you, and they want to go play, that is because they were bred for this. So all you husky owners out there, Make sure to exercise your dog because they're working dogs and that's what they're built for. And that's what these guys did is they worked. So on the topic of sled dogs, uh -huh. there's a very important person that comes into play. What is his name? His name is Leonard Sapala. Wait, real quick. What a though, name. Before we jump into Leonard, I do want to mention that there is a character in the story named Wild Bill Shannon. Oh, we'll get to Wild Bill. We'll get to Wild Bill, <laughs> but just on a personal note, I feel like a guy named Wild Bill Shannon must have been real fun to have a cocktail with. And he seems like a great dude. End of tangent. Back to the story. So Leonard Sapala, he moved to Alaska in 1900. From Why? Where? From Norway. Why? I'm pretty sure it was because he wanted to save a bunch of people's lives, no? No. Okay. There was another, another thing happening in early 1900 and late 1800s, which was 
people just wanted gold. Oh, he was. It's back to the gold rush. <laughs> this is a callback to back to the gold rush. All right, so we so came Leonard Sapala, who worked as a fisherman and uh, uh, basically his father's right hand man. Is it right hand or left hand? Right hand man. Right hand man. Uh, or if you're a lefty, left hand man. As a blacksmith. Or woman. He was a blacksmith and a fisherman. And when he was, I don't know, he was in his 20s and he's like, hey, dad, I heard there's gold in, in, their hills. in America or Canada or wherever. So I'm just going to take a boat there and I'm going to go get some gold. And the dad was like, okay. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I would love to hear that happen today. Like, hey, dad, um, there's, there's gold in Algeria and I'm going to hop on a boat real quick and go there. I don't know if you could take a boat to Algeria, but it just sounds like... Yeah. They, oh, you can. Beautiful. I think so. um, it sounds to me like these were some real adventurers. And Leonard seems like he was a pretty adventurous guy and was also pretty bright in terms of the way he was looking at things. Um, Leonard Sapala is actually the father of the Sapala Siberian Husky, which is its own distinct breed. And it is it shares similar ancestors to the traditional Siberian Husky, but they are two distinct different breeds, which is pretty cool. This guy, you know, he he dedicated a huge portion of his life to his dogs and the breeding that he was doing and developed this breed of sled dogs. And um, they are the centerpiece of the amazing story we're about to share with you. Yeah, so the gold thing didn't turn out. No. So he was like, hey, I'm just going to play with puppies all day. That sounds fun. Yeah, that's that's kind <laughs> of, honestly, I can relate to that. It sounds like a good move. So Leonard Zappala, he he really was pretty influential in the breeding of these sled dogs. And some of the dogs he did breed ended up becoming some of the most famous, if not the most famous, dogs in history. Um, one of which there is a amazing statue of him in Central Park. And after this break, we're going to be telling you a lot more about Balto and his lesser-known friend, Togo. So if you're a human being with access to information, you know the name Balto. You've heard that name somewhere. You might have had Balto as part of your childhood by watching the animated Disney film. 1995 film. Balto. Starring Kevin Bacon as Balto. Kevin Bacon? <laughs> yes. Really? Fun fact. Huh. <laughs> so everyone knows of Balto, the hero dog that delivered uh, life-saving serum to Nome, Alaska, correct? Correct. I knew about him. Well, it's a lot more complicated than that. It is actually very complicated, and it is a roller coaster of a story. So we talked about how hard it was to get the serum to Alaska, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the governor... Of Alaska. What was his name? Scott Bone. Scott Bone. Approved a very ambitious plan to get the serum to Nome, Alaska. What was that plan? So they were going to use a team of 150 dogs. And 20 mushers. And 20 mushers. What's a musher, Dan? Musher is the man in the back of the sled who is responsible for ensuring the delivery of whatever goods he is transporting. So he is in charge of the team and... There is a undeniable bond and trust between a musher and his dogs. It is a very special relationship, and these people were incredibly, incredibly important in terms of populating parts of Alaska, keeping businesses going up there, and, as we are going to see, keeping people alive and healthy. So checkpoints were set up. Every 30 to 40 miles, there was a checkpoint for the sled dogs to arrive, okay. hand off the serum, 
hand it off to another musher, and that musher will repeat the process until they got to know molasses. Because this this was a race against the clock, right? Pe- children were going to die. Like this. Like is a I trip. said, this could kill. This disease could kill a child in less than a week. Yeah. And this trip normally would take ten to fifteen days. Yeah. Or twenty. No, fifteen days, to twenty. Fifteen to twenty in these as conditions. long as three weeks. Yeah, in these conditions, they so didn't that, have that time. That could have been hundreds of children dead. Even more, because this is a pretty is a highly contagious disease too. So not only were the kids more at risk but if these kids continue to get sick and you know there's a finite amount of people in this town ten thousand people this can spread very quickly so on january 27th the serum arrives in a town called nanana which was the closest train station as we mentioned to Nome. but what 674 miles round trip round trip round trip that's insane I, imagine yeah. doing that by even by car is insane like you that's it's, like what i mean it's also it's it, long well you also got to give credit to Henry Ford for the uh, development <laughs> the time, of yeah. the uh, the motor vehicle because think about like Model T yeah like driving from New York to Boston right I can do that three and a half hours round trip no problem imagine having to go three hundred and something miles either on foot or with dogs pulling you during a blizzard a bli- a whiteout <laughs> blizzard negative sixty degrees and don't don't forget what existed. In Alaska back then. This is not, you're not going through a walk in the park in your neighborhood. There are bears. No trails. There are wolves. There are actual monsters out there who, they're hungry, and if they see you and they catch you, they're going to eat you. And it's going to be terrible. It is a scary time. Not to mention you have to drive through the night. This was nonstop driving and running and snow and wind and pain and you're not you're not in a comfy little cabin with with heated seats and a, and a heated steering wheel no you're wearing some animal pelts to keep you warm and you are on the back of the sled going what 30 miles an hour with the wind just freezing your entire well, face conditions is like 15 miles an hour it sounds in the middle of nowhere in the dark you can't see anything you're relying on your dogs yeah. The entire time. And that's where that bond go, you know, is so important is like these these men had to at some points blindly trust these animals because, you know, at the end of the day, the olfactory senses of a dog compared to a person, I think it's roughly 600 times more powerful. So the dogs are able to obviously use the scent to keep on the trail. So when a person is completely blind, there were points during these during this trip where the mushers weren't able to see the dogs in front of them. They just had to hold on and hope that the lead dogs, which were the more intelligent dogs that knew the routes and they were, you know, from a leadership standpoint, they were able to move the pack the way they needed to go. They had to put their faith in these animals. Yeah, the animals are in a lot of senses more skilled than the people who trained them. Oh, absolutely. Especially in this case, that they know exactly where they're going. They don't need much direction. They just need to to listen to their owner. They just literally need to listen. Hey, stop. Okay, I'm stopping. But once you tell me to go, I'm going, and I don't need you anymore. That's where instinct (laughs) and nature kicks in. So there was a little problem. What was that? Yes, the relay sounded like a great idea, and the governor approved it. But Sapala was already on his way to pick up the serum. Little known fact, Sapala was incredibly motivated because not only was he somebody who was incredibly selfless, selfless and wanted to help the children of this town, his daughter was one of those children. Um, so you want to motivate somebody, that's sure one way to get people going. And this, this, this man, you know, put his life at risk and the life of his dogs at risk to ensure 
that his daughter and all the other children in Nome were going to make it through this. So Sapala had actually left the day before they approved the relay plan. So he had no idea what was happening because everyone put their trust in him. He said that he could make the entire 600-mile round trip with his team. Everyone believed in him. You know, he at the end of the day, he, he was... Uh, he was a revered member of the community. He was the also, uh, I, I would say, the, the top dog. He, he was the top dog. Top dog. <laughs> so Sapala is the top dog. So Sapala takes off, right? And he's going. And they realize what? That they one person doing this is not, it's not going to be the fastest way of doing it, right? Exactly. These, these animals are going to get tired. Because Sapala had to stop. Yeah. The, you, know? you, you can't make that run with these animals that far straight through. So they kick off. This is on essentially the Iditarod Trail, correct? Isn't yes. That? Yes. So those of you that have, you know, are avid dog sled fans uh, watching on ESPN 9, the Iditarod is what this course was. This is the trail that these people took. And this is what we do on a yearly basis um, with the annual running of the sled dogs at the Iditarod. So it started in Nanana with the first man picking it up. My my boy, Wild Bill Shannon. At this time, mind you, Sapala is on his way to Nanana. The, uh, unbeknownst to him yes, that this is happening. He has no idea that there's a relay happening, but Wild Bill Shannon so gets on his lead and he drives towards Sapala while Sapala is driving towards Nanana. Yes. Okay? So about 90 miles in, 100 miles in, Sapala runs into someone. Who's he run into? Another musher, Henry Ivanov. Henry Ivanov? No way! <laughs> he was a runner for the next musher. So the musher had given him the serum for him to deliver to the next checkpoint. But his sled got caught in a snowbank. So he's in the middle of the trail. So you're telling me that if this guy's sled hadn't gotten caught, this whole operation exactly. could have been just ruined. Yes. So uh, Henry sees Sapala drive by with his dogs and he's screaming. Sep, Sep, they called him Sep, by the way, because he, he was very known. He had a nickname in the community. He was a Sepp, pretty cool guy. Sep, Sep, I have the serum. I have the serum. And Sep can't hear him. But you know who can? Togo. His lead dog, Togo. Togo. Togo turns around. And I mean, Sep trusted this dog with his life. So he's not going to say anything. He's not going to try to stop him. So they go back. And what was his name? Henry. Mr. Henry. Ivanov just gives Sep the serum. And literally tells him the entire plan. So what So what does Sep do? He's like, oh, I'm done here. You can take it to the next checkpoint. No. He travels the 90 miles back to the next checkpoint. Sep was a real champion. <laughs> so he could have just, you know, called it there. Yeah. He could have just been like, here, I'll help you. And you deliver the serum yourself. I mean, the guy was motivated. You know, it, <laughs> you know, he wanted to make sure that his daughter was okay. He wanted to make sure that the children in this town survived and he realized how crucial and important this was it was an incredibly selfless act so sapala ended up driving 270 miles didn't he uh he took some uh some risky risky and turns 270 miles while taking shortcuts and uh what about those shortcuts uh fill us in a little bit on that so one. it was really cold at the time it was actually really cold on the way there okay so the first day that he was out so the the sound was frozen solid all right the sound was frozen solid. He he had no problem. Going, Seems like a, a sound idea. 
<laughs> so he's actually taken that shortcut before. So he, you know, he knew he knew the area very well. So what what was the shortcut? The shortcut was seventy miles. But what was it? What did he do? He drove through the sound, through the frozen sound. So through it, having zero confirmation or knowledge whether or not it was solid all the way through. Oh no, he, he this was, is just he a, was just a badass. Yeah, and he trusted his dog. So apparently, there's there's you know there's a lot of lore about how the dogs behaved. Togo, the first time, the first time they went through the sound, didn't stop, didn't even flinch. Really, he just ran through. All right. Yeah. So this guy trusted Togo so much that he was willing to save 70 miles because if you went around the sound, it was 90 miles. If you went through the sound, it was 20 miles. So uh, a 30-minute ride through a frozen solid, quote-unquote, sound. Wait, 30 minutes? 30 minutes. Wow. 30 minutes. You think this was just like a river bank. Okay, so he's he's just no. listening to the ice pinging and all <laughs> yeah. the, the ice moving underneath him. That sounds... Uh... So on the way back, uh, the temperature started to rise. Uh-oh. So it was a little tougher. So what happens there? So the ice started cracking. He saw water running. But Sep being Sep and him being a badass put all his faith in Togo. He did. And Togo was able to literally save Sep's life once again because... In this treacherous trail, it's very tough to stay alive without a companion like Togo. And Togo's a hero. Togo is a hero. So, Sep has the serum. Okay. He's going back to the checkpoint. He gets to one of the checkpoints, one of the many checkpoints, and he's like, I'm calling it. I'm sitting here. I already drove too much. Togo's tired. So, here you go. You Next guys one. continue on. Yeah. So they start. So so they continued. Everything was going smoothly. They're doing what every like forty five miles or every so. Every thirty to forty miles. Okay. They, they were they were scattered because there were mountains in between and everything. So it eventually gets to the keeper of checkpoint number two. Who was that? So it was so it was gnome checkpoint okay. one checkpoint two right. So Gunner Kazan or Kazan, Gunner Kazan. I like Kazan better. I think it's Kassan. Oh, okay, Gunner Kassan. Gunner Kassan was the not the owner of Balto. He was the renter of Balto. Yes, so <laughs> they rented dogs. So, like, you know, having a solid stock of working dogs was not something everybody could afford. You know, just like leasing a car, people would rent these working dogs. Um, Sapala was the obviously the breeder, as we discussed, and he was who Kassan rented Balto and the rest of the dogs from. Um, Balto, actually, when he was born, was a bit of a runt, and Sapala didn't see him fit to be used for breeding. He was a little too big, too, because sled dogs aren't really that big. They're quick, they're light on their feet, and they're muscular. That's literally all you need. He was too big of a dog, and... um, Sapala just, he, he didn't think that he was going to be good for the breed, so he ended up actually neutering Balto, um, whereas normally he wasn't neutering his breeding dogs. And um, Kassan rented them to, for right. work, Sapala, for mining, Sapala, right? Sapala, yeah, Sapala rented. Well, Kassan rented it for yeah. Sapala. Because um, uh, for mining, mining purposes, yeah, yeah, he would drive uh, supplies to and from the base to the mine, and he was great. He was good at it. So luckily, but he w- he still wasn't like a, a wildly experienced uh, no, musher. No, at all. Some would consider him even novice. That's that's why he got the portion yeah. of the trail that he got. Well, the portion of the trail that he got, he was very familiar with it because that's where he worked. Balto that's true. Really knew that area, and actually, it, that knowledge helped save 
Gunner's life, basically, because yeah, the, he got the, trapped in a blizzard. The dogs are really the stars of the show here. Okay, so Gunner Kassan gets the serum. Okay. At checkpoint two. And he delivers it. He tr- he he literally drives in the middle of the night, whiteout conditions, and he relies solely on Balto. Let's not take anything away from Balto. Yeah, Balto, Balto's the reason this happened. Like Kassan's not <laughs> running this on his exactly. back. There He's is not- there's a team of what was it, twelve dogs? That were pulling them. Yeah. Um, so Kassan was, you know, the guy at the caboose, but but Balto and his team were really the the ones making this all happen. Okay, so he makes it to the last checkpoint, basically, before Nome, which was called Port Safety. Okay. Port Safety is the last checkpoint. So it was in the middle of the night, and due to the whiteout conditions, uh, everyone that had communication. Oh, yeah, they the thought time, it was canceled. Yeah, right? decided like, hey, we're gonna hold off. Meanwhile, Gunner is in the middle of the night trying to survive a blizzard driving through the night. And just keeps on going. <laughs> and he kept going. He saw the lights were off. He didn't see any dogs that were chained. Everyone was asleep. He wasn't gonna wake anyone up. He needed to get this. He There's needed to get the serum to, to town. Twelve more miles, right? Twelve more miles. That's less than an hour. Twelve more miles. Twelve more miles into the history books. Exactly. So <laughs> <laughs> Gunner actually got a lot of bad attention for this decision because uh, they thought that he just drove through on purpose in order to get all the fame in Nome. But that's not really the case. There's a lot of people that um, knew Gunner, and he was a very shy man, a very stand-up guy, and he would never do something like this for fame. Some people actually were very upset. Hold on, hold on. The serum gets to town. What time? At 5.30 a.m. So the, so not only the gunner drive through the night, he drove into the morning. Yeah. That but, must have been such a beautiful sunrise. Oh, man. Especially in Alaska. It's oh, my gosh. clear and nice and cold. Oh, the air must have been so <laughs> crisp. So the medicine is delivered, saving hundreds, if not thousands of lives in a small town in Alaska. I think only... Five people ended up dying out of like fourteen hundred. Out of fourteen hundred that were sick. Yeah. So almost, you know, a little more than was it just shy of fourteen percent of the town had diphtheria, and because of him, only five people died. He he saved the children of this town. Like you don't you don't get better it's, than that. It's it you can't really sugarcoat it. That's and <laughs> that's you, all that happened. You would really think though that somebody even just taking part of a journey like this or being a part of you know, what we did resulted in, you know, hundreds of children being saved would be enough, right? Yeah. You'd think that. I think so, but... Sapala, not too keen because on him getting all of the credit. What happened when Gunner got to town? So everyone knew that the serum was going to get there on February 1st, in the afternoon of February 1st, because they thought yeah. it was canceled for the night, right? So Gunner shows up, and the mayor comes out, and is like, oh my god. Gunner. What happened to blah, blah, blah? Because we don't know his name. The history doesn't remember him. Yeah, who is it? I don't know. (laughs) Well, blah, blah, blah is real upset about it. Point proven. Like, he just wanted a good night's sleep in order to to be more reliable. But Gunner gets there. There's reporters. There's uh, photographers. This is is national, national news. This was national news. Everyone was following this story throughout the states. Everyone knew about Balto. Why? Because when Gunner got to town, there was a reporter there that asked for the musher's name. Musher was like, Gunner Kassan. And what's the lead dog's name? He was like, well, uh, I have two, Fox <laughs> and Balto. He's like, oh, no, we can't do Fox. People will think it's a real fox. So it's like, what's, what's <laughs> the other? Which is also you, a fun story. Yeah. What, like, how do you spell the other lead's, lead dog's name? 
Balto, B-A-L-T-O. Oh, Balto. That's perfect. That it sounds a, great. Thank you very name. much. So that's the, the story that got published everywhere. Balto was a hero. Little did people know he was a little tiny portion of the story, of the hero aspect of the story. Well, uh, Sapala wanted to change that. Sapala, the real hero. Sapala was a big hero. The, the real hero. He was at the time. He, he was, but once we break this down for you, you're going to be like, mm, Sapala's kind of a turd Ferguson. So, as Sapala's owner, I mean, Sapala being Balto's original owner and being incredibly jealous at all of the fame and notoriety that Balto and Kassan were getting, he decided that he was going to take Balto and the team of sled dogs back and he auctioned him off. Where? Where no, where did Sapala auction Balto? To whomst? Sam Houston in L.A. To essentially a freak show. It was an oddities museum where they would have your, you know, sideshow stuff and, you know, the this and the that. These dogs went from global notoriety to being chained up in a museum. And it was honestly, as an animal lover and as somebody who genuinely cares about the well-being of animals, like, this guy was kind of a piece of shit. Um, no other way to put yeah, it. Yeah, like, it, it's it's something that if you love your animals, this is not something you'd put them through. And, and it was awful. Balto became, he was a live attraction at the museum. They were chained to the wall. He was a celebrity. He was a celebrity. But he was a celebrity that was just, you know. Yes, he was taken advantage of. And it was terrible. They were not allowed to run and play. They were locked inside most of the time. Which is the essence This is what dogs. they were built for. They're designed it's in and their they're DNA. bred for it. It's, it's awful. And they were there for what? It was it six years, I think? Uh, a couple of years. It was two years. Two years. Well, two years they were there until someone visited the museum. George Kimball. George Kimball was a man of, you know, just normal status, just a, a regular man that had read the stories about Balto. He lived in Cleveland, Ohio. He decided to travel to see Balto because you wouldn't have that opportunity in any other situation. And you would you would think that, you know, hearing these stories of this hero dog, right, you're going to find this, this beautiful, strong, oh, yeah. healthy animal. No, he arrived at this place to find the pack of dogs, mangy, underfed and sick it, it, it was chained just, up cha- inside it, atrocious atrocious conditions so what did he do he asked the owner of the they were called dime museums people would pay a dime to get in and just basically see all the all the oddities that were on display so he asked the owner of the dime museum how much it would take to buy balto balto himself balto alone and sam sam houston or houston said $2,000 in 1927, which is $28,000 in today's money. For a hero of a dog, which, if you ask me, worth it. That's cheap. $28,000 now to buy a hero like Balto and to treat save. him to save, save his him. life. To save his life, that's cheap. So, anyway, so Kimball couldn't afford it. So he's he didn't like, have two grand on him. I'm going to fly back to, to Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm going to start a campaign to raise money for $2,000. How long did it take him to do that? You'd think it would take him months, right? 
So after 10 days, everyone knew Balto. Everyone knew who he was. After 10 days, he was able to raise the money and then some. Because the other dogs weren't really worth anything to Sam, Sam Houston. Because it was Balto. It was Balto's name that was worth something. So he was able to, with the money he raised, with all the generous people from around town, from around the city of Cleveland, Ohio, he was able to buy Balto and the rest of the sled dogs. This next part makes me tear up a little bit. So these dogs were rescued, right? Kimball was able to bring them back to Cleveland. And when they were brought to Cleveland, they were allowed to pull the sled once again in front of a crowd of 15,000 onlookers. These people all came out to see the hero dog Balto and his team. And he was getting a chance at a new life, at a, a return to glory. And I think the people of Cleveland welcomed him and his pack with open arms. Please, if you have uh, a chance, there are photos of this. There are photos of little children petting Balto, and you can see the happiness in his face. It's it's really a sight to see. So the the city built an enclosure for them at, at the Cleveland Zoo, right? Yeah, a giant enclosure for them to actually run, run pull and a play, sled, and play and, and live do their lives. All of the things that they were built for. But sadly, as every dog has to go through once in their lifetime, at passed, the end of it, usually he passed away. Yeah, once in their lifetime, 1933. He was 1933. Anywhere from so because. Uh, when Sapala was breeding him, he wasn't going to be a dog that um, was going to be used to be bred again. Uh, they were they didn't have documentation of how old he actually was. So the records are kind of conflicting. He was anywhere from 11 to 14 years old yeah, when, so when he did pass away. The the consensus is he was born in 1919. He, was, he died in 1933. So he was about 14 years old when he died, which is, if you ask me, that's a pretty that's a great good, life. That's a good life for him. It Husky. sucks that the last two years he had to spend, well, one of the last two years of his life he had to spend chained up inside of a museum. But I think he ended with a bang thanks to George Kimball. Yeah, George Kimball is uh, one of the unsung heroes of this story for really taking... A lot of unsung heroes in this story. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, Balto became national, a national sensation. He got a statue in Central Park, a statue in Nome, Alaska, Everywhere. He got a statue in Cleveland. His body was taxidermied, and it's now on display at the Cleveland Museum of American History, uh, of Natural History. Natural I'm history. sorry. But Togo. Wait, before we dive into Togo. Okay. Um, this is actually breaking news for me. I had no idea that there was Balto 2 and Balto 3. Yes, uh, Balto there are three two, Balto movies. Balto 2, Wolf's Quest. Straight to DVD. I think that would uh, that one was a uh, a fictional story. Um, I don't know what Balto Three Wings of Change was about, but I know what I'm watching this evening when I get home. Oh yeah, the the straight to DVD Balto animated films, collector's edition. So Togo, the the hardest worker of all the the sled dogs, basically. I mean, team effort. Everyone was great. There was 150 dogs involved. There were 20 mushers, but Sapala. And Togo, just that team was able to travel 270 miles when every other team averaged around 31 miles. They they really carried the bulk of this trip on their on their shoulders. And think about maybe without that strain, without Sapala taking that strain, maybe the other teams wouldn't have made it. That we don't far. know what could have gone wrong there. Exactly, because if if everyone relies on traveling more distances, there's more that can go can go wrong. But Sapala. 
took the weight on his shoulders. He's like, I'm the most experienced here. I'm just going to do it. Now, Sapala, because of the whole thing with selling Balto. Well, the selling Balto, but also his love of fame and notoriety, he he went on his own little world tour, didn't he? He he took Togo and his dogs and they went down to Hollywood and they made a trip cross country to New York. They even had a few appearances at the world famous Madison Square Garden. Yep. These dogs um got to be getting some exposure, but not nearly the same fame or notoriety as Balto did. Um, but Sapala really felt that his sled dogs didn't get the credit that they deserved. Now, Sapala ended up giving Togo away when he was a little bit older so he can retire and go enjoy his life, right? He went up to Poland Spring up in Maine. Yes. Poland Spring, what it means to be from Maine. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, Poland Spring, if you want to sponsor us. So Togo ended up dying in 1929. <laughs> if you want to segue into that sad story, he was 16 years old, which is amazing. Me, he was 12 years old when he made this run. We didn't mention that. Togo was 12 years old. I want you to go. If you have a 12-year-old dog, <laughs> I want you to go in the living room and see what they're doing right now and see if they're capable of running 274 miles in negative 60-degree weather in the middle of the night. I'm positive Caleb could not do this. <laughs> Caleb is Dan's dog, who is a mush. A mush. Oh, mush, like mush. mush. Like musher. Also, if you want something adorable, type in Kyle and Caleb roommates um, into plug. YouTube um, if you want to see Caleb at his best. So these dogs, you know, they're they're trained from birth, but you'd think that, all right, maybe they, they do this for a couple of years. No, like these dogs would do this as long as 10 years. So Togo was doing this for essentially 12 years of his life. And it, it's just incredible to see this. You know, we we're around dogs a lot in our line of work and like more of a saying i can't imagine a large majority of the dogs that we we interact with working this hard and it, it's it's a testament to the breed you know it, it's quality breeding that results in an animal that can be used for something like this in a way that is so impactful on people's lives now you know there's a lot of people that don't love animals being used in the workforce and things like that. And I think as a society, we've evolved to ensure that the well-being of animals is a priority. But back then, th this was, you know, one of the only options people had. And these people that work with them really love their animals for the most part. And it's just incredible to see how long their line of service was in helping people and the, you know, the people in need in these communities up there. There's a really famous line from Sapala's diary where he talks about the oh. commitment that Togo had. Get your get your Kleenexes ready, so, boys and girls. Yeah, I watched. Uh, if you guys uh, have Disney Plus subscriptions, please watch Togo, the movie uh, with Willem Dafoe playing uh, Leonard Sepala. Academy Sepala. Award winning. Academy Award winning. Willem, Willem Dafoe. Dafoe. But there's a famous line uh, in his diary about Togo where. So from a very early age, Togo showed an interest in sleds, but... Uh, he was a bit rambunctious. Yeah, Sapala didn't think that he was uh, good for it because he was very uh, just... He had a lot of anxiety. <laughs> didn't he... Uh, he had such bad separation anxiety that one time when he was away from Togo... Every, every time he went away on a sled ride to train his sled dogs, Togo would find a way out of the house 
out of the enclo- enclosing fence, out of anywhere, in order to go chase after the sled. Including the one time he jumped through a window. Which is true. And you see that in the movie. That is a true story. True story. The he dog- tried to give him away. That's how strong yeah. the bond was between the two so of them. So he tried to give him away when he was just a puppy, and he found a way out everywhere he went. So the bond was clearly very Un- strong. Unbreakable. Unbreakable between these two. But, you know, Sapala thought that, oh, he's just jealous that all these dogs are getting, are getting to go out with a sled and just run. So eventually, Togo became the lead dog, right? And at the end of Togo's life, Sapala came to a realization. What was that? That Togo, his entire life, his commitment was not to the run. It was not to the sled, but it was to me. I'm tearing up. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, just think about that. He, oh, I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can attest to this. He's tearing up. I'm staring directly into his You're eyes. You're also tearing up a little bit. Yeah, it's oh, fine. Oh, man. I'm not crying. So, You're crying. Oh, so this is just shows you the bond that you can create with these dogs. It's not just like, hey, they want to go out. Hey, they want to run. No, they want to spend time with you. They want to do all those things They want to do do well for you. Yes. So uh, he kept going on in his diary saying, we found out that a walk was just as good as a run. Oh, (laughs) oh my God. Yeah, it's just everything about this. It's just, it, it tells you just, not even Togo, not even just Balto, just the general spirit of dogs just how loyal they can be to the human race. So if your dog's near you right now, go go make sure you give, give him a, a big, hug, big hug and a kiss. Oh my God, just everyone go hug their dogs right now. And send us pictures of your dogs. Please. What's our email for that? Animals at Dan's Pet Care, or you can tag us on Instagram or Facebook at Dan's Pet Care. Thank you. So in 2011... What happened? Togo... No way. ...was named... What was he named? By Time Magazine... What was he named? The most heroic animal of like a period of time of all time, all the time of all time. That's incredible. I don't know how long Time Magazine has been around. A while, <laughs> at least fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> so he was named the most heroic animal of all time in 2011. And Sabala has a little fun fun factoid too, because in 1932, if you guys are familiar with Lake Placid, they hmm. are a famous host of the Winter Olympics. Oh, also, they were also the famous host of that terrible, crocodile. scaring crocodile <laughs> that lived in their lake. So don't swim in Lake Placid. So in 1932, Sapala got a silver in dog sled racing. Wait, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> in 1932, in the Olympics of 1932. I still will never forgive him for selling Balto, but like, it seems like he did love his animals, but like, still, like, I'll never forgive you. Okay, so let me ask you the final question. Was, All right. Was Balto cool? Balto was pretty cool. Yeah, he was cool. But what about Togo? Togo was incredible. <laughs> Togo, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> Togo, you know, they're both incredible animals. And it was cool because, like, I remember growing up, like, seeing the Balto movie. And everybody knows the story of Balto. No, of course. When we started this, like, I didn't even know who Togo was. Exactly. And Me I'm either. actually very excited tonight to watch the Togo movie. On get get the the tissues ready because oh I mean any movie with oh, a dog man. in it I'm got like I I still to this day refuse to watch Marley no and but I thought it wasn't gonna hit me because I knew what he did <laughs> oh, to okay. Balto no I knew what he did to Balto so I'm like oh this guy's a dick I'm not gonna I'm yeah. not gonna relate to him but oh my god I mean thank you Willem Dafoe for uh, <laughs> oh my god for tugging at our heartstrings and he does a very incredible job um so if we leave you with anything please do not watch the 1995 animated film. Balto starring Kevin Bacon. Watch. Watch Togo.
the 2019 Disney film starring Academy Award winning there we go. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> and on that note, boys and girls. I'm pr- I think Togo is a pretty cool animal. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about him. Yes, because Togo deserves all the fame in the world. We love Togo. We are t- Team Togo. Get hashtag Team Togo trending. Yes, <laughs> Team Togo. Also, like, Team Balto is cool. Yeah, Team Balto, you know. He's T- hashtag Team Balto also as well. There we go. That's a Those are the one. two hashtags. I remember. Yeah, but it's very specific. No one else will get it confused with something else, you know. Sometimes there's like hashtag overlap. You got to be careful. Okay, I'm Not wrap- like hashtag overlap. I'm wrapping, I'm wrapping it up. But then. an overlap in hashtags. I'm, I'm wrapping it up. So that's our episode on Togo. And Balto. And sure. Come on. <laughs> I'm still, a Togo team. Yeah, but like Balto was also really cute. He had these he cute was. little like white paws and the rest oh, the of his socks. body was all black. His white socks. Yeah. Oh my God. Such a cute dog. But Togo is the unsung hero. Togo is our hero. So thank you so much for listening. Do not forget to... Just subscribe, not like, comment, and subscribe. Sorry, different different medium. Oh, and if you guys love what we do, just please leave a review because that helps with the algorithm and all that stuff that no one really understands. People understand it, it's just not us. Um, also, if you do enjoy this and you have another animal lover in your life, we would love it if you shared it. And um, thank you so much for listening. Also, remember, if we got anything wrong, if you want to correct us, if we're annoying, if there's something we can improve, email us. Email us just for fun at animals at danspetcare.com. And we'll get back to you. We'll respond to all of We that. really will. It's 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 just me and Moro in here. <laughs> There's no one else doing this, guys. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. We won't see you. We won't see you, but you'll listen to us in your ear holes. But I'll be watching. All right, cue the music. Cue the music.